Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Please open your Bibles to John 1 as we begin this good study, I trust, and helpful study in this biography of Jesus' life. You know, before the days of the internet and Google, uh, we had to do our own research. And much of that was done by people who just called the library to ask certain questions. In fact, the New York Public Library established the Ask a Librarian phone line. Uh, They would receive 30,000 questions a year on that phone line. Among those questions are these. What does it mean when you dream you're being chased by an elephant? Why do 18th century English paintings have so many squirrels in them? Never noticed that one. If a poisonous snake bites itself, will it die? And I love this one. Somebody early on in the 60s was looking for Charles Darwin's book, Oranges and Peaches. The very astute librarian politely directed the person to on the origin of the species. And someone said there are no stupid questions. Of all the questions, and I wonder how many questions we ask through our lifetime, of all the questions we can ever ask, the most important, most significant, most life-changing question is, who is Jesus? Five times, John, the apostle, refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote his biography on the life of Jesus near the close of the first century when there are people challenged as to the identity of Jesus. Is he really all God and is he all man at the same time? So John makes it very clear why he's writing. In chapter 20, verse 31, he writes, These are written, and by these, it means John, John is going to record seven miracles. We're going to see those. And these seven miracles are signs that point to who Jesus is. He says, these, these miracles are recorded for you. They're written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. These opening verses of the Gospel of John are probably part of a hymn of the early church, many believe, or the hymn itself. And here we're going to look at the first 18 verses. We certainly can't study uh, all the phrases and all the significant things, but I trust we'll get a healthy overview. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. As he begins writing, John focuses on two things, who Jesus is and what he does. Well, first of all, Jesus, he says, Jesus Christ is the Word. And this is significant because as the Word, he answers two inner pulses that every human being on the face of the earth has. First of all, by, by Jesus being the Word, he is a reason for life. The Greek word here, of course, many of you have studied before, is the Greek word logos. Logos was a greatly debated issue among the Greeks. Logos had has to do with life's purpose. It's guiding force above something that man is answerable to. Why do we exist, for instance? It's a philosophical term. If you walked into my house today and you saw my coffee maker and the warmer was on and I was cooking a hot dog, you would wonder if I'd lost my mind because that coffee warmer is not for warming up hot dogs. And so, therefore, it's, it's not going to do it very well. That's not what it's designed for. Likewise, when we live for a reason other than for the reason for which we were created, life doesn't work in its fullness and at its best. It's rather senseless. For the Greeks, there was never a conclusion to this discussion about Lagos. They never landed anywhere. They just liked talking about it, the meaning of life. Because of that, there were two responses of that unanswered question represented by two philosophies. One was represented by the Epicureans. There was a school of philosophy called the Epicureans who believed there are no answers, so live for pleasure. And there are, were many people who lived that way, uh, and, and, and th that, that kind of life was all they went after. Just pleasure. The second philosophical stance was represented by the Stoics, and they were somewhat nobler. They said, there are no answers, but let's live as if there are. So they had morals and they had virtues, but there was not really anything driving those morals and virtues. There was no foundation. There was no truth. And we still see those two philosophies today, don't we? We have a group of people in our world that just live for pleasure and for self. It's a real problem in, in our culture. At the same time, we all know lots and lots of good people who do good humanitarian deeds, but they're not in the truth. But yet they sense they should do good things. They should be moral people, but there's no real reason given for it. Without Christ, people numb themselves to pleasure and entertainment and holidays and continual activity. Other people lose themselves in just good deeds and good effort, which is commendable, but ignores the deeper questions of the heart. These people live as if there is a reason for existence, but don't have really any idea what it is. John is telling the Greeks and us that Jesus is the reason for life. He is the logos people are looking for. He's the reason for us to get up in the morning. The word, the logos, is not a philosophy for us. Logos is a person. A person 
who created us and for whom we were designed to have relationship. Because of that, Jesus is essential in these two in these two arenas. So he is the reason for life. He's also the authority for life. Lagos addresses that as well. He is truth. A truthless world, a truthless existence is unbearable at the end of the day. Without truth, there's no core, there's no basis for decision making, there's no morals, nothing to believe in or worthy of our trust. Jesus is the author of the world. Verses 2 and 3, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He's the author of life. Being the author, he has authority to speak into life and its meaning. You know, song lyrics are always intriguing to me. I love always know the background of the song. Do you remember years ago when the Beatles recorded Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds? And all the talk was, it was a drug song about, about LSD, Lucy, Sky, Diamonds. But when Lennon was interviewed about that, of course, he said, no, that's not what it was about. My little boy, Sean, came home from school, and he had drawn a picture. And I asked him, what is this? He goes, oh, that's Lucy in the sky with diamonds. And so Lennon wrote a song about it. Now, who are you going to pay attention to? Pop culture, who has a rumor going, or the author of the lyrics? The author is the one we're going to pay attention to regardless of popular ideas about him. Jesus is the author of life. That's why he can speak with authority into our lives, and we need him for that. You know, you can have a great team of players. You can be on a great team, but if you have a coach that is unqualified, that team is going to struggle and lose. It all depends on his or her qualifications and many other aspects of his coaching ability, his experience, his style, his philosophy, his training. Life is a great gift, but how it's played depends on what or who you look to as the key voice in life. Jesus Christ is the Lagos. He is our creator. He's our savior. He's the one who came for us. Not only is he the word, but John says that Jesus Christ is life. The Bible says, in him was life. Now that word life appears over 200 times in the New Testament. John 14, 6 is that familiar statement of Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 10, Jesus contrasted his ministry with that of the enemy. He said, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And the second part, he says, I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. In the New Testament, there are two different Greek words for life. One is bios, which has to do with physical life. We get our word biology from that. So today, if your heart is beating and your lungs are working and all the systems are working, uh, your brain is processing, you have life. You have bios. Um, and, and everybody has that. Only Jesus gives zoe, eternal life, or life that is really life, we could even say. We got our word zoology from this word. It speaks not of biological life, but it speaks of the quality of life. It's life on a higher plane. It's, it's more than merely existing. It's really living. It's understanding why we exist and where we're going and where we came from. And sometimes when we see a picture of, of somebody enjoying an island vacation, we say, boy, that's living. Well, not necessarily. I mean, they could be staring at the ocean trying to figure out what life is about while enjoying the day. We, we can get so lost in that. Real life is knowing Jesus. 
If I asked you to define eternal life, you'd probably say, well, when I die and go to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says eternal life is about a relationship with our Father. John also writes later in 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It's as simple as that. If a person is not in a relationship with Jesus, they do not have life. So I'm wondering how many of you this week have boxed up or covered up your artificial tree and put it away, okay? Uh, some of you, some of you pitched uh, your live one. How many of you threw out your live one? Well, no, you didn't. What you did is you bought a tree that hadn't shown its deadness very clearly yet. When that Christmas tree was cut off, it was cut off from life, and you brought it into your house, and you decorated it. You adorned it. It looked like a living tree, but it was as good as dead. And this is where we have a problem in our relationships with people, because there are all kinds of people cut off from life with Jesus, and they are as good as dead but because they're decorated so well by certain morals or virtues or deeds or kindness, uh, niceness, family values, whatever it is that makes them look like a really wonderful picture of We get deceived and we forget without Jesus Christ as their Lord, they're as good as dead. I trust today all of you are connected to the source of life. And if you're not, you're as good as dead. And Jesus Christ came that you may have life. And then John says Jesus is the light. The Bible continues in verses 4 and 5, that life is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness cannot overcome it. Travel to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky, and the guide will take you into that cave, the deep part of it. He'll turn off all the lights, and it will be pitch black. You will not see your hand in front of your face. And all it takes is lighting a little match, and suddenly there's this illumination. John is telling us, that darkness, no matter how much darkness is ushered into a room, as long as there's this one tiny source of light, it is more powerful than the darkness. Two things this light does that Jesus is. His light reveals my sin. We often have to help our kids not be afraid of the, afraid of the dark, right? We have to talk them through it. But you know how many people there are that are afraid of the light if you're trying to conceal something, you don't want the truth revealed. If you're trying to conceal secret sin, you don't want the light of Christ. Job 12.22 says, God reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into the light. That's one of the reasons so many people rejected Jesus Christ. He made, he made them feel uncomfortable. That's why people sometimes will come in and jokingly say, man, the roof's going to fall down if I come in here. But that it, it's a sense that not all is well. But John says in 3.20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But see, God already knows all that. Christ knows everything about our lives. Nothing is hidden from him. Once you walk into the light and you see reality, you are never content to walk in darkness again. Now, I'd like to say that's true for everybody, but Jesus made it clear there are some people who love the darkness 
more than the light, sadly. But reality is, we are not free to do as we please and have the life we want to live apart from Christ. Now, we are accountable to our creator of this universe who has set distinctive guidelines for us. He has given us free will. What I'm saying is, reality is we cannot have free will at anything we want to do and not have consequences for it. Reality is, I'm not a very good person, nor are you. Next to the holiness of God, I am, I am black were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ who cleanses from unrighteousness. Reality is God loved us anyway, and he came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, to all, to, all to demonstrate that he was God in the flesh, and there were eyewitnesses to it. Reality is we can't make it on our own. It's by grace we are saved through faith. And it's by grace so that none of us can boast about our salvation and our goodness and, and whatever, however we grow in good things in our lives. Reality is there's no hope in this dark world apart from the light of Jesus Christ who came into the world to show us the way to attract us to himself and to guide us into all truth. The good news is we don't have to fear him seeing us. He never reveals for the purpose of driving home guilt or shame or somehow being condescending toward us. He, he never, he, that's not the way our Redeemer acts, our Savior acts. He reveals only to help us know how much better life can be when it's lived his way. You ladies, uh, I commend you for using those makeup mirrors. I remember the first time I looked in Diana's, especially the magnifying sight. Whoa! Now, I couldn't take that. I'm thinking, why in the world? You know, us, we men are just different. You know, give us a big mirror, Shirt, pants, shoes, hair combed. Okay, I'm good to go. But, but you ladies, you just like to look deeper, and I, I commend you for it. And sometimes I think as believers, the way we men act physically isn't very pleasing to God. We kind of look at a surface, but yeah, I'm pretty good. And we ought to be more like these ladies who want to take a close look, a deep look. What is there? That scrutiny they pay attention to. That's what the Scripture does. That's what God's light does. It helps us see who we can be. His light also, secondly, reveals his way. God has promised to give us light to show his way. I, I love the promise in Isaiah 30 that says, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. it it's about the confirmation God gives us as we make good, right choices based on his truth and his will. He is our GPS, we say. Diana sometimes, you know, will turn the GPS on when I know where I'm going. She'll pull up Google Maps, and I hear that voice, and I know where I'm going. But what happens to me, I, I get in conversation, and I've told her to turn it off because I know where I'm going, and I fly right by the exit, even though I've been by that time. I'm just in another world, and so what do we have to do? Well, we've got to get back on track, so she got to open the, open the Google Maps and get us back on track. I'm so often like that in life. Are you? Oh, I know that. I know what that says. I know what God wants. I know where I'm, what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what I'm supposed to be like. And I get myself disconnected because I think I know everything. When I, There's not a day in my life that I don't need God's roadmap in my life. I need to be reminded of who he wants me to be. I can never get to the point where I say, oh, I've got this. I'm good. No. No. Everyone you meet this week is in one of three positions regarding light. They're either walking in the light, 
as he is in the light. Or they're walking toward the light. They're searching and they're exploring the truths of Christianity. Or they're walking away from the light. That's the only three relationships you can have. Walking in it, walking toward it, walking away from it. I trust today you are in the light. But if you're not, you need to take care of that. God invites you to the light of his truth and his love. Sometimes I thought how nice it would be to have a, just a cloud to direct us, like the Israelites had coming out of Israel. I come, get out in the morning, go out in my car, and there's the cloud, and I just kind of follow it. No, we don't have that, but we have something better. We have God's Word, and we have the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us. And the, the one who authored the Scripture is the Holy Spirit. And so, therefore, with His divine presence, God in you, the hope of glory... He has given us everything we need for life and godliness, the Bible says. So let's take advantage of that. Psalm 19, 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I said the primary way the Holy Spirit works is Scripture. This is behind equip you. Maybe you're debating whether you should sign up. You know, equip you is to help you own your faith more deeply. Not only that, but you're equipped then to have a discussion with somebody who is far away from the Lord. You are well equipped. You know how to handle the Word of God, and you've gotten some direction on how to have conversation with people about criticisms of the Bible, criticisms of being a Christian, um, arguments. You know, what what do we do with all this? Um, So there you have it. Jesus is the Word. He is life and he's light. And because of those truths, there is the potential for every person to be a child of God. Now, Nancy Pelosi recently made a statement that every person is a child of God. Oprah has said that before. Lots of celebrities. That is not true. The Bible doesn't teach that. Now, we're created by God. But we are not all children of God. Because when we chose to sin, we were cut off. We were orphaned and we became slaves of sin. Jesus came so we could be adopted back into the family of God. And that needs to be our heartbeat. A couple of years ago, we rolled out a new vision, impacting homes by opening hours. We did that because we recognized as a church body, we were not being obedient to the Great Commission. We were doing it a little bit, a little bit here and there, but not in a very strong, bold way. It told us how introverted we had become as a congregation. And that's a, often, uh, that often happens to older congregations. The older a congregation becomes, the more likely it is to become ingrown. And that's where we ended up. We are 190 years old, and we becoming, had become increasingly uh, uh, self-consumed. Good things, but not doing what God has called us to do and making disciples. And so we began by knowing this needed to be a ministry of hospitality, to have spiritual conversations. Our desire is that we're all involved in impacting lives for Christ for now and eternity, loving people to new life in him. Now, because of this pandemic, we have been hindered uh, in that particular aspect of feeling comfortable about opening our homes. But this is short-lived. You know, we're going to get past this pandemic, and we're going to be back to being able to open our homes to people and welcoming. So that part of the vision is on hold a little bit for now, but only temporarily. Today marks the beginning of a new year. 
We have another piece of the vision to unfold that we commented on a couple of years ago, and now we want to press forward. Most scholars acknowledge that John was Jesus' best friend. So this year, we are not only going to study the Gospel of John, we're also going to study his other writings, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and we'll close the year with a deeper study of the book of Revelation. We are calling our journey in 2021 a year with Jesus' best friend. A feature of our vision that we haven't addressed is the challenge of walking with someone that God has put in our lives that is already in our lives or maybe isn't even in our lives yet. Somebody God puts it in our path that we can walk with toward a saving relationship with Jesus. Maybe that person is already your best friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. You know, maybe it's someone God has put on your heart recently or is going to. We're calling this the one challenge. Who will be the one that, that you will care about this year? Now, let me say, this requires intention. It was an intentional act of God before the foundation of the world to design a plan for saving us for all eternity. He knew about our sin. But being a God of love, he created us for himself. That's what he wants. That's why we were made. And he does not want anybody to perish, but every, everyone to be in a relationship with him. That's what he wants. And he left, he left his glory. He left the worship of angels. He left his position with the Godhead, this perfect relationship unhindered with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He left that, and what did he do? As Luke put it on Christmas Eve, he moved into our neighborhood. John 1.14, that's what it's all about. He dwelt among us. He moved in your street and your school. Now, friends, brothers, and sisters, God's call in our lives is that we take that same intentional heart of God and we move into the neighborhoods of our lives. Our actual neighborhoods, our sports neighborhoods, our clubs and organizations neighborhoods, our family neighborhoods, our school and campuses neighborhoods, our frat houses, sorority houses, dormitories, where whatever your neighborhoods are, because God has give, put you there as a way to be Jesus. That representing Christ as the Word, you, you show what a reason for living looks like. And you show, you show the authority you have in your life that comes from Him. That's Logos that comes to them through you. You're going to show them what real life is about. You're going to show them by your life the, the, the light, the light and the goodness of light. You can't have life without light. There has to be light. And so God, God calls us to penetrate the darkness, the darkness in our neighborhoods for his glory. So I want to challenge you to take the one challenge. And we want you to keep in mind all year these three letters. P-E-A. P is pray. Pray daily. Now, maybe the first thing you're going to say today, I don't know any unbelievers. Well, then that's where your starting point is for prayer. God, help me note an unbeliever. Help me understand who that is in my life. I depend on you. I trust you to bring that person into my life. Help me to see him when they show up. Maybe that's your prayer. 
Maybe you all immediately have a person. Oh, I know who I'm going to pray to. You're going to pray for that person every, every, every day this year. You're going, to, you're going to bring that person before the Father and ask for wisdom and clarity and insights onto how to best communicate with them. And I assure you, you know, God's going to do something. Pray for your strategy. I think we have to have a strategy when we're meeting people. Like maybe your strategy is, you know, I'm going to just start by asking for coffee. Okay? Or, hey, can we go to lunch? You know, or maybe um, maybe they're, go- they're golfers, a, a golfer, and you're going to go uh, ask, ask her if she'd like to go golfing. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's just some club or organization you're going to join purposely to meet unbelieving people, to, to build relationships with people. You know, pray for creativity. Pray for desire. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I, don't, I can't do that. I'm shy. I don't want to do that. No, that, no, God. Just say, God, I'm, I'm your disciple. I've been saved. And I'm, I'm confessing to you that this makes me uncomfortable. I'm a shy person. I don't want to do this. You're going to have to somehow work in my heart to change me from the inside. Maybe that's your prayer. Just to get your heart in tune so that you want to. Say, God, I don't want to. Help me want to. God will note that prayer. But we've got to speak honestly to him. E is for eat. Jesus was often eating with people. We talked about that a couple of years ago. We saw all these scenes in Jesus' life where he was eating with people. Then, you know, enjoy that. You know, get, get, there is value in eating together. Again, we're not totally comfortable with that. Some of you are comfortable right now going to restaurants or something. Take advantage of that. If you're not yet, make that a part of your plan when you feel comfortable to do so. And A has to do with ask. P-E-A, ask. Engage them. We are talkers. Most of us talk a lot. When we're engaging people, we're asking people their story. What's the story of your life? What's your story? And find joy in that. Find joy in hearing people's journeys so that it will open the door for honest engagement, communication back and forth. You can little by little tell your story, and then God's story starts to be spoken. And that probably won't be by the first cup of coffee. But maybe by mid-year, you'll be there. Or maybe in a month. Or not till December 1st. God is the one who gives the increase. We make ourselves available. Christ is the word, the life, and the light. Again, again I say, did not come by accident. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And he pushed through to do what was so difficult to do. But he did it because he saw you and he saw me. And he wanted us for himself. So will you take the challenge, the one challenge, of looking at your neighborhood and moving into your neighborhood and laying down all the barriers and say, I've got all the reasons why I shouldn't do this, God. I have all the reasons why I don't want to do this. But I offer them to you to be the person you want me to be and make the differ- a bad difference in somebody's life. Well, what I've said today is imperative because Christ is coming back. He's coming back. And he, he does not want to see anybody perish. He takes no pleasure in the death of people who are unrepentant, who are lost. No, no delight in that. He wants all of us. And he wants the people in your life and my life. And that has to be our heartbeat. And the more that's our heartbeat of every one of us, then it becomes the heartbeat of our church. And you have a church that's alive and moving In our text, verses 12 and 13 read, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right 
to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, that is, you can't be born a Christian, nor of human decision, that is, on your own terms or by your own theology, or a husband's will. In other words, not to please a family member or a friend do you become a Christian, but born of God. He's the one. He's the one that draws us to himself and changes us from the inside out when we are baptized into him and we welcome him as Lord of life. A few years ago, sociologists at Baylor University did a study on people's views of God. They found that 31% of Americans believe in an authoritarian God, They're ang- that, that he's a God that's basically angry with man's sins. 23% believe in a benevolent God who is forgiving and accepting of anyone who will repent. 16% believe in a critical God who's always judgmental, but he is not going to get involved in bringing comfort or uh, punishment, either one. 24% believe in a distant God, a God who put everything in motion and then is just sitting back and watching everything unfold. And I, there may be a little bit of truth in a couple of these, but the, the, the real truth is that he is a gracious God. That is the picture of God throughout the scripture. He is a gracious God who loves to rescue people from sin and shame and give them a purpose and give them life that is really life. Today we worship him because we know him as Lord and Savior and our very best friend. So let's, let's take the one challenge. Will you do that? Will you take the one challenge? Go to mypcc.info, go to the one challenge card, and just share your name. And when you're ready, the first name of the person that is the one you're going to pray for all year long, and the one you're going to try to figure out how to build a relationship with and how to have a spiritual conversation with to move them closer to the heart of God. Maybe you're ready to do that today. Maybe it's not going to be for a month or two. But when you're ready to do that, let's encourage each other that we are being obedient to the Great Commission to love all people to new life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, first of all, forgive us for needing this reminder of what you've called us to do and be, disciple makers. And I pray you forgive our church for being so often weak and demonstrating it and obeying the command. I pray you forgive me when I have gotten cluttered in my life, when I've allowed other things to take priority, which crowded out time with people who need you. Please forgive me for that. I pray, Father, that you will hear our prayers, where whatever those prayers look like, whatever they sound like, Prayers of confession like mine. Prayers for a right person to build a relationship. Prayers of fear. Prayers of a lack of desire. Whatever it is, Father, thank you for hearing us and being so willing and ready to take us right where we are and to grow us to be more like Jesus. And right now, Father, we hold this cup and wafer that represent the one who left everything and pushed through the difficulties, the barriers to come and be with us, that we might be with you, our Father. And I pray, Father, by taking this cup and eating this this bread together, we will be reminded, Father, the price paid for us, and thereby 
we'll be willing to pay the price as well that others may know you. Thank you for our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.